Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Friday morning, the 19th of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Is there ever any justification for assaulting another person? Is it possible to understand how one person can simply hate another person because of their sexual orientation? Is there any explanation that can explain why a group of schoolboys would seriously assault a 14-year-old boy because he is gay? Most people will give the same answer to those three questions no no and no but not everyone the assault that left that schoolboy concussed in need of hospital treatment and crawl away from the mob who knocked four of his teeth out has disgusted most people but violence and homophobia are unfortunately a reality of the world that we live in there has been increased violence against our lgbti community in, in the country Uh, which is quite disturbing. I believe um, we collectively in this house and across the country condemn what has happened. Uh, We have to ensure that our uh, response is multifaceted and multidisciplinary. By that I mean both within the general culture within society and, as you say, uh, from a parental point of view, uh, from a home-based point of view, we do need to rededicate ourselves to eliminating um, such violence, such, such a culture of intimidation, bullying and violence from our society. And that's constant work that we have to work on every day uh, in every setting. Uh, the Department of Children, uh, likewise, and, and, and there has to be a child-based response. Uh, the passing by this House of the um, hate crime bill is one such um, step. Uh, but also then from the justice perspective, uh, some very significant work has been undertaken by the Gardaí over the years and, and more recently in terms of the, the diversion, the youth diversion programme and working with young people. That's the Tarnished Demi Hall Martin speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Let's uh, speak now to Pora Grice, Policy and Research Manager with LGBT Ireland. A very good morning to you, Pora. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. I think most people in the country, uh, when you look at uh, the response uh, from people uh, uh, on the back of uh, that video, some people didn't even see the video, but the stories that they're hearing, a lot of people did see the video, as we know, and they've been sharing it because they've been so disgusted. Uh, but when you see the response of, of most people in this country, they're appalled that this kind of, of thing goes on. Now, this was a, a, an extreme uh, assault, uh, but uh, it's not unique, uh, and you won't be surprised to hear about people being assaulted because of their sexuality. 
Yeah, Michael, I think it was an absolutely horrific uh, attack and I think it shocked a lot of us and I think we want to send out our solidarity and support with, with the young person at the centre of this and we know there's a Garda investigation underway so there's limited things we can say about that but yeah, um, this isn't an isolated incident unfortunately um, we know from the Garda stats that there were 582 hate crimes were reported to the Garda last year um, that was an increase of 30% on the previous year and we know that many more um, hate crimes went unreported and undiscussed. Um, so there definitely is a, a real issue um, here that needs to be addressed and, and needs to be tackled. OK. Um, why do you think it happens? I mean, we need to understand what the problem is if we're going to solve it. Yeah, I think there's, there's not one easy answer you can point to. And many of this is they're complicated. And I think to begin, it's, it's worth noting that Homophobia is deep-rooted in Irish society, unfortunately. Um, it, it was a crime to be gay until 1993. So within my lifetime, um, it was still a criminal offence. And I think that carries a really long, deep legacy. Um, and it's going to take a, a long time to undo the damage that was done over many decades uh, in Irish society. Um, like We know that, that LGBT people were condemned from the pulpit and ridiculed on television. And, and we really need to kind of dismantle the architecture of homophobia that that facilitates hate, and, mm. and that has, as I say, has a, has a very long legacy. I mean, it wasn't just on television. We all grew up with it. It was in our lives, and you know, uh, forgive me for saying it, but we all did it uh, because if you didn't, there was something wrong with you, and then somebody would uh, start accusing you of being gay, and the next thing you'd be subjected to that type of abuse and that's the way the world operated but I, I thought it had all changed I, I thought it had particularly changed with young people uh, with uh, the same sex referendum and I've said this so many times on the programme over the last few days how they all had rainbow colours on uh, their social media profiles uh, I was talking to Colm O'Gorman the other day and he seems to think that uh, a lot of uh, the problems uh, that we're seeing today uh, is stemming from other parts of the world America particularly and what young people are watching on the internet I don't know if you have any thoughts on that yeah, I, I suppose um, there is a kind of a global context to this, um, and we have seen a, a rise in in anti-LGBT sentiment across the world. We've seen it in the US, we've seen it in the UK, Ilga um, Europe, uh, who are the the international body um, for LGBT organisations, said that that last year was was the most violent year for LGBT people in Europe in a decade. So there is a there is an international uh, context to this, and there is a, a rise in anti-LGBT sentiment and we're, we're seeing that um, particularly we're seeing that online um, we know that the vast majority of young people have have seen anti-LGBT hate or harassment online the last year actually 87% of them according to a study from Belong to have seen anti-LGBT harassment uh, online so there's a huge issue um, with the kind of the online hate and mm. um, the whole online space and what's happening there and I think it's always worth remembering that, that the internet is, is very new and that we haven't really, uh, it's unregulated uh, and I think it's having a massive corrosive effect uh, on our society mm. and our kind of wider politics. So th- there, is a, there is that element of it. Um, J- just to repeat, uh, that belong to statistic? Yeah, so 87% of LGBT young people have seen or experienced anti-LGBT hate or harassment on social media in the past year. Okay, and 76% of LGBTQ students feel unsafe in primary schools? Yeah, so in secondary schools, yeah. So, so three quarters of, of, of them feel unsafe. Yeah, they're, 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 they're not making that up in their own minds, I take it. I, I take it there's a reason they feel unsafe, uh, that they're 
being called names or they're being threatened or they're being bullied or they're being assaulted. Yeah, and we know from that study they, they report that they hear remarks um, from other students. They also hear it from, from staff members and, and people in, in around the wider school uh, community. So, so there definitely is an issue. Um, staff as you members. say, it's a wider societal issue too. You know, it's not just the mm. school, it, it is wider society. From, from staff members? Yeah, so the report shows that, that, that they hear it both from from uh, from actual from other students, but also from, from teachers and other staff members. Okay, but these are children who are in the care of the staff that you're talking about who are abusing them, verbally abusing them. So yeah, they would have heard kind of something that was homophobic or, or heard a remark that was anti-LGBT um, at some point in, in the school. Um, but as I say, this is a wider, I think it, it, it's beyond the school, it, it is wider society. Mm. Uh, and you mentioned the marriage equality referendum, you know, and many of us did think that a lot had changed. Mm. Um, but but I think you now the, the honeymoon period seems to be over. And I often say, you know, we won the right to walk down the aisle, but mm. many of us look over our shoulder as we walk down the street. Was it just that that campaign hit the right chord? It was populist, if you like. Uh, I mean, but uh, people bought into it uh, for a short period of time and then went back to their own ways. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I would say that, that it did. there was a lot of positives came from it too. There, there was a lot of conversations that were mm. had. Um, but in some ways, it was, it was probably a, a bandage over deep wounds, you know, and... Mm. Um, there is something deep rooted, and I think people who are different for any way, any kind of way, often get discriminated against, um, or, or mm. get marginalised, or sometimes attacked, and, and and we know. But what happened like, to the conversations? I, and I'm, I'm asking you questions. I'm not expecting you to answer. I'm thinking out loud, uh, and I'm, I imagine you and many others are asking the same questions. I mean, what happened to those conversations? Uh, the uh, brought this tide of support uh, for same-sex marriage. Uh, what are what are the conversations that have replaced them? What are our kids hearing uh, at home? Uh, what 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 are they discussing amongst themselves? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think we do need to have those conversations again, and I suppose we we do need to continually have these conversations. And that's the thing with something like this that that. That is so, as I say, deep rooted. It needs to be a kind of a continued effort. Mm. There needs to be a continued awareness uh, and understanding. And I think part of it is about how we portray people in, in media, how we portray them even in the school curriculum. Like, I think LGBT people should be positively visible in, in all parts of, yeah. of the school curriculum from what we hear about in history, what we hear about in English literature, uh, also in relationship and, and sexuality education. And, but then in wider society, about how, how we portray people, how we talk about people. Um, so so there, there is a huge body of work um, that, that needs to continue to be done. Uh, there, is, there is a national LGBT strategy that the government put together and, and part of that commits to kind of a national awareness campaign. Uh, we've been urging them to, to do a, a well-funded national awareness campaign on mm. some of these issues that includes kind of TV ads, radio ads, billboards, and just, just let's talk about why people are attacked um, because because we know these aren't isolated incidents. We know uh, it's uh, not a one-off. Uh, uh, I, was talking about when, I was talking about when I was young uh, and, and the attitude and how you had to be homophobic almost. Uh, but, I mean, I, I thought we'd left the world of being under the rule of the Catholic Church, uh, under the cosh of the Catholic Church in this country, long behind us. I mean, 
uh, it's a, a discrimination. Homophobia is a discrimination that was almost that was legitimized. Uh, it wasn't almost; it was legitimized because of the law and because of the church, uh, and um, all of that has changed. Uh, so that makes it all the harder to understand why it continues today. Yeah, and I suppose Panty, Panty Bliss, the, the drag queen, often says, you know, it, it's impossible not to be homophobic in a society that was so deeply entrenched in it and that all of us carry a bit of that. Um, so it, it really was, like, as you say, there was laws passed by the state um, and the church had a very strong influence and had a very strong anti-LGBT message. So, so that really that has a very strong legacy in it. And, and it ties in, into to other parts, uh, other laws and other areas you know, that, that we campaign on. We're currently campaigning for, for a ban on conversion practices. And there are still people in this country who think that they can change someone's gender like you identity. Can go, you, can go to a, you can go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist yeah. and he can, can, un, he can un-gay you. He can, he can make you uh, become a different person. Uh, and it, it, it's, 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 it's kind of like saying I can make you taller by stretching and pulling you. And if I, if I pull <laughs> you and stretch you for long enough, you'll become six foot. But, but mm. no matter how much you subject someone to that, they won't. And, mm. and mm. so there are still things like that and attitudes uh, continue yeah. where people carry this and say, you know, conversion, people still practice conversion therapy and we're trying to get outlawed and mm. campaigning on a hate crime bills and we're trying to get legislation in place so there is other measures that, that need to happen. It's a little bit like racism, it's a small group of people but they're very vocal, very active and it seems like a, a lot of people, I, I don't think there's any doubt uh, when it comes to homophobia that it really is a minority of people, it's certainly the impression I have uh, and uh, if the response to what happened in Navin this week is anything to go by it is absolutely the case because yeah. there's been widespread condemnation. And I think it's important to remember for people out there, like particularly people who may be LGBT and maybe haven't come out yet, that it's the most positive thing you can do to, to come out and be open about your, your gender or your sexual orientation. And it has a really positive effect on your life. And it, there's a wonderful LGBT community who are really supportive. Um, and there's huge personal benefits for coming out. And, and I, I, I worry that sometimes these discussions may make it harder for some people who are struggling with their with their sexuality and gender. Um, so really want to get the message out that that don't let incidents like this hold you back. Um, don't let that there will be fear but 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 I think it, it does get better um, and things do improve. Um, and if anybody is in need of uh, support, um, we run the, the National LGBT Helpline and people can call us for information and support. Um, and that's available on 1800-929-539 or on lgbt.ie. Um, so do reach out if people are experiencing issues this week or distress because it, it has been difficult for many of us. And I think mm. people who have been subjected to similar incidents will, will also will also be feeling it this week. And I think the community, particularly in Navin, but as you say, across the country, um, are, are reeling from this. Um, but hopefully, hopefully, these conversations will help. Um, will help, mm-hmm. and there'll be discussions at home and in schools. And hopefully, we we can change the narrative and change yeah. the conversation and, and prevent things like this from happening in future. Yeah. And, and so that we can all have live. Uh, happy uh, lives together. Yeah. Well, we hope that our, our listeners will be uh, talking to their children, particularly our, our listeners in, in Navin uh, who have children who may have uh, been caught up in this. But uh, your helpline, the National LGBT Helpline, one eight hundred nine two nine five three nine. 529 Parik, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Much. Pleasure to talk to you. Parik Rice, Policy and Research Manager with LGBT Ireland. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Yeah, the other big story this week has been immigration with uh, 
asylum seekers having their homes or their tents being uh, burnt in Dublin and indeed locals in Inch County Clare blocking uh, the road to stop asylum seekers setting up home there. Let's speak to Lucky Cambola, co-founder of Massey. That's the movement of asylum seekers in Ireland. Good morning to you, Lucky, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, what a week. It has been, it has been really, it has been some trying, some trying week, week uh, for our community, really. Yeah. Are, are you surprised at what we've seen in Dublin and in Clare? Well, I'm not surprised, uh, honestly, because uh, of the fact that this has been going on and uh, people have not been held accountable for the small actions that they've been taking throughout this year. And uh, uh, for, my, <clears throat> for my observation, it's not going to stop in a hurry. Uh, and, until the, the, the officials, the government, step, uh, you know, put a, a stop into this mm. by, acting, uh, by acting decisively and uh, strongly. Yeah, that isn't what's happening in Clare. The government is uh, pandering uh, to the local people there. I, I think what happened in Dublin was exceptionally violent. Uh, but if you were to look at the two groups and compare them to others, you're probably talking about skinheads in Dublin and rednecks in Clare. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. I 100% agree with that. Yeah, the skinheads with the Nazi flags, the rednecks with the Confederate flags. Uh, it's the same message. You are not welcome here. We do not want you. It's the same. It's the same message directed to the to the wrong people, directed to the uh, vulnerable people, directed to the people that have got no control of of the challenges that this country have in terms of uh, services, housing, and everything else. It perpetrates hate. Hate is is being uh, brewed somewhere, and uh, it needs to stop. Uh, but we can't stop it. Uh, we don't have the power to do so. But. It's, it's getting scarier. It's getting scarier. Mm. What do you think the government should do in Clare? Well, one, uh, they, as they say, in terms of, of the consultation, that they complain that the, the, the consultation is not done. Uh, but what will, what will happen if the consultation is, is, is done anyway? Uh, if, if by now the, every county knows that there's a crisis, Mm. By now, everyone knows that people are sleeping in the streets for many, many months. Mm. Surely, surely people know that they, they, they want to do something in, uh, on, on their, in, 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 from wherever they are. But when it comes to, to, to directing to their doorstep, they fold their arms and they start complaining. Yeah, but it, it, it's, fr- it's Friday morning. Uh, the uh, protests uh, began on Monday evening. I'd have thought by yeah. I'd have thought that by Tuesday morning, Gardy would have gone down to that road an inch, told them to take their tractors off elsewhere and clear the road, or else start arresting people. That is exactly what you're supposed to do. When uh, a, a, a law has been seen to be broken, forces need to be able to apply that law and start arresting people mm. for disrupting their peace in the country. Instead, now, instead, the politicians are saying they're reasonable people. No, no, exactly. That is a message that is a wrong message. How, how is it reasonable that a person is not allowed to pass a road, a, a national road? How is it na- normal that person can go into a bus and, and uh, uh, who is not authorized to be in the bus and start doing count 
a headcount for people. Mm. How, what kind of a country is this that people can just now anyhow just go into a bus, disrespect people, human beings? These are human beings that they've got no control of where they can be sent by the government. And you've got people that take it upon themselves to go into a bus and disrespect people and put pressure on people. It's, 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 it's wrong. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you stand. It's wrong to mm. treat people like that. And then they turn around and say, oh, no, uh, we want to welcome everybody. This is just the wrong place. And anyway, we're concerned about the sewage uh, and uh, we don't think the building has a fire cert. Uh, it's a load of cock and ball that the residents are coming out with, really, isn't it? There's, there's, it's, it's, it's just excuses, excuses. Ukrainians have been accepted in all these counties. They have accepted Ukrainians for the past year. Now, when it comes to the other people from other countries, no, our, our, our women, our children are not safe uh, from, 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 from the, our, in our community from these people. We welcome people, but we don't welcome some people. Mm. So it's, it's, it's wrong. It, 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 they, some, sometimes the, the, the comments that are coming from the elected officials normalizing an, an abnormal situation, sometimes you wonder what kind of leadership that we have in yeah. this country. Well, there's to be three new centres, uh, one in Dunleary, one in Clondalkin and one in Santry. Uh, there was a yeah. pro- there was a protest outside uh, the new centre in Clondalkin last night, uh, and uh, yeah. there's an ongoing protest outside the one in Santry before they even open. Uh, are, are they going yeah. to be pandered to? Are they reasonable people? Is uh, the government going to allow them stopping people from uh, finding accommodation there? It probably is terrible accommodation. I- I'm sure nobody wants to live in a retail park, but it probably is better than sleeping on the streets rough. Exactly. Exactly. We wouldn't want those uh, places to be turned to accommodations, but we are in a crisis mode at the moment. Every now and then I go to the people that sleep. I was there with the guys last night who are sleeping outside the IPO in tents just to have a, a eye-to-eye conversation with them. Mm how they feel. That's the you International know, Protection Office on Mount Street, yeah. Where, they, yes, exactly. where, where, where there's about 50 tents or so, is there? Yeah, there's, yeah. there's, more, than, there's more than 50 around, around the corner, around the, the, the block there. And, and that's the reality of what we are facing uh, here. And, and the guys are not safe there. You, as you know, last week uh, uh, some tents were burnt there. Yeah. So guys can't sleep, can't get a sleep, because they don't know who's going to uproot them in, in there who comes and bend them while they're sleeping yeah. in those tents you know they, yeah, they I, think, I, I, I watched uh, the Minister for Justice Simon Harris on the television last night and he's said that since last weekend there's been one arrest one one arrest let me tell you this has been going on for five years Rus- uh, Ruski Moville in Donegal you know, you name it. It says it has been going on and on and on, and we have not seen arrests happening. And that is why they, these, these people feel that they can get away with it, and they continuously do that. They are so intelligent in knowing that this is what is going to happen where, and they mobilize themselves and start making these protests until they start arresting people in these unlawful protests. 
things will continue to happen. They can go on TV and, and say this and that and that. But on the ground, there must be action. We need to see action of people being arrested for unlawful blocking of people, protesting on their homes. Yeah. The government is doing this and they are allowing people to stop them doing their job. I don't that know. Cannot be allowed. Yeah, I, I, I feel uh, sometimes lucky uh, that uh, it's a battle that can't be won. We're fighting a, a losing battle. Every time we talk about this on the radio, for example, we get calls from people, text messages and all that sort of thing. Uh, they say, I'm not racist, but... Um, they're all men, uh, all these things uh, that we hear. Uh, uh, and uh, the upshot of what people are saying is uh, we're not racist, but we don't welcome these people here. Uh, I, I don't feel I'm racist, uh, but they're uh, saying something that <laughs> can only be defined you know as racist. Yeah, that's, that's, if the, 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 the person that says, that says that statement is racist in her or his core. When you say such statement, if you are not racist, you did not. You don't even have to say it. You don't need to say it. You need. Mm. You act. You welcome. Mm. You welcome everybody. If 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 you are welcoming, invite person in your home. Have tea. Have biscuit. Whatever. Yeah. You know. Show that you you care. Show 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 some compassion. The way, to the, the, the way the way that I think the majority of people do with white skinned Ukrainians. Yeah. It's 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 so sad, really. And I mean, this this notion of the uh, uh, the amen. These the, the 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 gentlemen that come here are fathers. They are husbands. I was speaking to one of the guys in the tent there. He left his home with uh, he's got a six months old baby that he left home with his wife and another child. He did not have time to even put them in a safe place. He had to run because his life was in danger. He thinks about that little child of, her, of his every day, that he is not there to protect that child, to provide that child. Mm. He's sleeping, he's sleeping in the tent. He's not even given a chance to go and look for a job and find something that he can provide for that child. Okay. He's so distraught. And, That's a human being. And when you talk about that guy, um, how do you think he will feel uh, if, let's say, he, he's given accommodation and doesn't have to live in a tent anymore and is brought by bus to Santry and then sees that big, huge sign outside uh, that centre in Santry from the protesters that says, protect our women and children. Is he a threat to women and children? He's not a threat to women. And, and there's no record of that for the duration of the, 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 the arrival of, 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 of asylum seekers here mm. in Ireland. There is no one that has been a threat to, 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 to women. This, 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 this direct provision has been there for more than 20 years. And in these communities, not a single case reported mm. in the police to say that these guys from this centre have done ABC mm. and they are a threat to society they are a threat to women they are a threat to children yeah. they are human beings who are also fathers yeah. who, who hold no threat to nobody 
and for the most part, clean living, decent people, uh, and what a, an insult uh, to uh, put on them. Uh, I, I mean, there's no doubt there's good and bad in every uh, society, uh, in any group of people, there's good and bad. And I'm sure not all of the asylum seekers are clean, living, decent people, but the majority of them are, uh, and I would say the same of Irish people, but there's a, a small amount of Irish people who make some of us feel ashamed to be Irish. Uh, the point, I, I think, is that I don't want people moving into that hotel in inch with bad sewage uh, and if there isn't a fire cert. Uh, and if that is the case, I think we should be apologising because that's the best we can do for them and we'd hope to do better. Not protest and keep them out. Exactly. Exactly the attitude should be. It must. Ireland is known of a welcoming country. Uh, if you have so, dollars, if you have dollars, we welcome you, yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. But now <clears throat> we, have, we, have, we, have, we have embarrassed the country. Yeah, rednecks, rednecks, the and, country. rednecks and skinheads. Uh, that's yes. that, that's what we've uh, developed over the course of the last year or so. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I have no solutions, no. but I know what is wrong. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's the point, uh, or at least that's the way I'm looking on it today uh, because it's gone on and on. Uh, we saw... Um, the first of the protests really in East Wall uh, and it went on from yeah. there. Uh, yeah, it seems, as though, it seems as though there's no end to it. I mean, you're talking about three new centres uh, to give shelter, to give sanctuary to people fleeing from terrible situations uh, and already yeah. there's protests outside two of them before people even move in. Yeah. And accusations being made about people before anybody knows who's moving in. Yeah, I, I don't know. People, people in power need to do more. Need yeah. to have sleepless nights trying to find a solution to this. Okay. Get, get. They need to grab, grab power again. Mm. They need to be seen to grab power. To, they need to show that they have the power. And what about and what? What about our listeners? Should should people speak up? Should people say that to our politicians? <laughs> People need to to hold politicians, councillors, and uh, TDs into account, and and ask them questions. What are they doing about this crisis? When they come and and seek for votes, they need to find, ask serious questions. What have, what are you doing, and what have you done to make sure that people that come here are safe, that people that don't have a home have a home, not sleeping in the streets. They need to be able to make those calls to the minister. They need to make that, those calls to all <coughs> the, the, the elected ministers, in, including the Taoiseach. Let the people start talking. Let the people feel the anger. that they, they, You must be angry as, a, as an Irish person who is being misrepresented. But take that anger to those that are elected. Ask them, what is it that they have done? to make sure that there's peace in this country. Okay, look, it's a strong message uh, that you're asking people to send to the politicians. Uh, unfortunately, I have to tell you, a lot of the messages that we're getting here this morning are of the opposite kind. Uh, as usual, I think it's a minority, but a vocal minority. And once again, they're speaking up and sending us anti-immigrant text messages, which is very unfortunate. Uh, we won't be reading them out. Some of them are, are too filed to read out. Uh, perhaps we'll hear 
from people uh, who, like you, believe that all people are equal. Uh, until they do something wrong, uh, whether they were born here or elsewhere, uh, and then they'll be subject to the laws of uh, this country. But thank you indeed for joining us. That's uh, Lucky Cambola, co-founder of Massey. That's the movement of asylum seekers in Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, thank you very much uh, to uh, the listener. Uh, WhatsApping us on 0861800658 asking about accommodation. I take it this relates uh, to asylum seekers uh, because our caller says I've a daughter who is on the housing waiting list uh, for 11 years, uh, can't get a house, and nobody is trying to help her. Uh, it's a very, very valid point. It is a disaster, isn't it? It's a disastrous country when it comes to housing. We really have <laughs> failed miserably. Uh, we've a uh, crisis uh, that has gone on for 10 years. Uh, and I think it's being used by some people uh, to say that immigrants shouldn't be brought to this country uh, because they're taking your daughter's house or somebody else's house. It's not the case. I mean, if you look at what's happening in Clare, people are objecting to them moving into a, a disused hotel. Or if you look at uh, the retail park in Santry, uh, I don't think your daughter wants to live there. The asylum seekers are not on the housing waiting list, so it doesn't impact in any way whatsoever on how quickly your daughter does or doesn't get a house. That comes down to the performance of government and that comes down to the government that you vote for. Uh, But it really has nothing to do with the asylum issue. But thank you indeed, as I say, uh, for your text uh, to the programme 0861800658. We've uh, another couple of messages that I can read uh, some that I can't as I said earlier on because uh, they're homophobic or they're downright racist uh, and there's really no point in sending us homophobic or racist messages. Anne says uh, when it comes to that assault in Navin I think all of those boys who took part in that incident that type of behaviour should result in a criminal record it'll impact on their future careers and it might make them think twice thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, another text uh, then uh, on that subject as well uh, from somebody who says I think that teachers should be more vigilant about what goes on in the schools. Thank you as well for that uh, message to the programme. And uh, we have um, got to talk about um, the phones uh, as well. We've heard a lot about the phones on the programme this morning uh, whether it's got to do with the attitudes of young boys. I think that was the point uh, that Colm O'Gorman was making earlier on in the programme uh, and indeed uh, possibly to do with the attitudes towards asylum seekers. Uh, certainly social media seems uh, to be very happy. Uh, the right wing on social media seems to be very happy with what's happening in Clare and elsewhere. Uh, Ireland being put up as a, 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 a classic example of how the right wing uh, should keep immigrants out. Uh, it's very embarrassing, I think. Uh, and uh, there's a, another problem that the uh, Sarai is highlighting today. Uh, 62% of teenagers now uh, worried about excessive internet usage on their phones. Uh, and we'll be talking about how that usage impacts on exams a little bit later on the programme because it's distracting young people. And we'll be hearing a little bit more about the dangers of your 
social media uh, on your phone and the world at your fingertips uh, a little bit later on. In the meantime, if you want to comment, 0419832000. If you want to ring us, text or WhatsApp, 086 658 Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. We've all heard the horror stories of people forgetting to pay their toll on their motorway and how the bills mount up and uh, they end up with a very big bill and how you could very easily be freaked out if you got a, a text message saying you forgot to pay your toll. Uh, well, I'm imagining that a, a lot of people have got those text messages and realised uh, that uh, they're scams, uh, but there's a lot of those messages going around. In fact, Bank of Ireland says that there's 10 fake e-flow sites being set up every day. Paul O'Brien from Bank of Ireland Security Group is on the line. A very good morning to you, Paul, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. A, a lot of people have got the messages, a lot of people realise they're scams, but if there's so many of uh, these sites being set up on a, a daily basis, uh, I take it a, a lot of people are falling, falling victim to these scams. That's right, Michael, yeah, and look, the thing about this for fraudsters is they want to throw enough mud at the wall and hold some sticks, so you know, the more volume, the more text messages they send out, the more chance there is that that somebody might unfortunately be caught in it. But look, as you said, eFlow have said themselves they don't send text messages with links to confirm or counter payment details. So, you know, that's why we're we're just trying to make people aware of it and saying, look, if you get any kind of a text message, be it from something that looks like it's from eFlow or maybe from your bank or a post delivery, you know, stop, think, check. Don't be pressured into anything. And, and particularly don't click the link and you know once you keep your, your personal information your bank details safe you'll be absolutely fine um, You can understand though especially if you've just gone through the toll I mean if you went through the toll yeah. earlier today or in the last couple of days and then you get a text message saying you didn't pay Yeah or, or to be honest Mike, <laughs> yeah. even if you didn't go through the toll you yeah. know I was I was chatting to somebody I'm I'm from Wicklow so I'm on the road tomorrow we're down in Longford for the Talton Cope and I can easily imagine, you know, I come back tomorrow evening, I get a text message out of the blue, and you're kind of thinking, God, did I go through a toll and I didn't even realise it? So it's so easy to to get caught out, and, mm. and that's exactly what the fraudsters want. Yeah, it's ca- it's to catch you out and, it, and get you to click the link. Well, well tell, tell, tell us about that. It's called smishing. What, what, what happens if you click the link? So really simply, so it's text message comes, text message could say anything. You know, at the moment, it's these ones calling that are impersonating eFlow, there'd be a link in the text message to a website. Once you click the link, the website will open up on your phone. It'll look like the real thing. Now, that can sort of scare people a little bit and they go, God, how did they do that? But if you think about it, it's, you know, once you get the right colours, the right brands, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's relatively easy to set up a website that looks like the real thing. The website will then say, okay, Michael just needs you to confirm some details. So, you know, name, address, maybe an email address, a phone number. And then, the, you know, it might say on some of these eFlow ones, right, we just need you to confirm your card details now to make that payment. You, you pop in your card details and go, oh, thanks. Now we just need to verify that with your bank. And then it'll, you know, it'll pop up with a site that looks like your bank. Again, similar look, feel, colours, brands, all that kind of stuff. And really that's all it is. They're they're just trying to it's the the kind of the website version of somebody phoning you and mm. the phone calls happen as well. Okay. Of somebody phoning you saying, Hi Michael, I'm from the bank, can you confirm all your details for yeah, me? Yeah, and, yeah. and that's really what they're after. But as I said, yeah. once you keep those details safe, you're absolutely fine and 
the person who sent the text knows absolutely nothing about you. You know, mm. they're, they're just sending out in bulk randomly. I, I think I can guess what actually happens next. How, how, much, how much do they tend to steal? Without avoiding your question, Michael, they'll try to steal as much as they can get away with. Yeah. So, you know, if, if... They could clear you out, in other words. if they, they could. No. If Look, they can clear you out, undoubtedly they will clear you out. Yeah, mm. if a fraudster gets into your account, that would be their intention. Now, yeah. obviously, that's where, where we come in and we're, we're doing everything we can and we would obviously have you know, systems and processes to try and stop that. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, if, if you open the door to the fraudster and say, there's my account and there's, yeah. there's all my money, they will obviously take as much as they possibly can. And it's very sophisticated because uh, sometimes they use the logos of uh, the companies that they're purporting to be. Uh, something like the toll uh, will catch people easily because you think, as you say, did I go through a toll or I did go through a toll or uh, the, the, the post office is a very good one, uh, especially if you've ordered something online, you get a, a, an email uh, suggesting... Uh, that uh, you have a package waiting for you or something like that and people will tend to uh, say oh that must be the uh, hair dryer I ordered exactly, or whatever Michael, you're right yeah, and yeah, you know yeah. you get those text mm, messages yeah. that look like they're from the post office yeah. and again you know we're all buying so much online that you, you either have something yeah. on the way or you've kind of forgotten and you're thinking god mm. and and you know with the e-flow ones and with those post office ones mm. they might be asking you or they, they, you know, the text might say it's only asking you for a couple of euros. So you kind of think, look, I'm not sure, but look, it's only mm. a couple of euros, so I'll pay it just to be on the safe side. Yeah. But obviously, the the intention is to get to get your details. So again, it's back mm. to that. Uh, and you're expecting more of this, uh, I suppose. Uh, worth mentioning, there's 25 percent of gas customers in arrears, uh, and a lot of us can expect to be hearing from uh, utility suppliers. You would expect in the coming months. Yeah, it's, it, look, it's important for us in, in what we do to keep ahead of what can happen and, and to share that with people so they know what to, what to watch out for. And what the kind of intelligence we're picking up is that some of these fraudsters are, are looking at maybe other Irish brands. So utility companies would be one. So you might expect over the next while that we'll start to see, say, text saying something like maybe your last bill payment didn't go through or there's a problem with your account and you need to click the link to avoid being disconnected. But again, same advice applies. Stop, think, check. And, and most importantly, once you keep your bank details safe and don't give away you know, your, your card and your pins and codes and so on, you're absolutely fine and there's nothing mm. to worry about. You'll probably enjoy this uh, message uh, that has just come to us uh, from Carol in Navin, Paul. She mm-hmm. says she she's getting these text messages from eFlow all the time uh, and she, she thinks that she must have run through one of the tolls because she doesn't drive. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly it, Michael, yeah. that, you know, what they're depending on is they catch somebody, as I said, like myself, I'd be out the road tomorrow and I might come back and think, God, did I go through a toll? Mm. But but then the messages are going to people like Carol who have never been through the, the toll or maybe don't even have a car. So I suppose that's just... It illustrates the point mm. that they know absolutely nothing about you. So, you know, there's nothing to worry about if you get one of these in the first place. Delete it off your phone and you're absolutely fine. Yeah, And I think the uh, simplest way of putting it is don't click on a link that has been sent to you. If you have a concern, go to the eFlow website. Look it up yourself independently. Yeah, that's it, exactly. Yeah. And and that applies to, to any, any of these texts or any of these brands. So if you do get something, you know, if it's the eFlow one, 
click onto the eFlow website yourself, not by clicking the link in the text, obviously, mm. but go onto the eFlow website, log into your account, and if there's anything, you know, outstanding or missing, you'll see it there. And and again, same applies if you get a text that looks like it's from your bank, you know, for, for Bank of Ireland. If mm. you you can check anything with us, just stick the word check in front of the text message and, and text it into us at 50365, and we'll come straight back and tell you if it's real mm. or not. Okay. But look, I can tell you now mm. that if, if you're sending a text message with a link in it, we're going to be telling you it's not real because we would mm. never do that. And if you get caught, or almost get caught, if you click on the link, uh, don't put your bank account details, your card details in. So uh, I, I'd be a little bit hesitant in that, you know, it can be a case that clicking on the link can cause a problem, but in mm. the vast, vast, vast majority of cases, I mean, 99.999% yeah. mm. of cases, you've done no damage on Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Until you actually give some details. Yeah. So it, do, it, might, it might blow your phone up or something like that. Uh, no, but but, but if, 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 if you're you lured in that far, don't at least give, give your uh, card that's details. It, exactly. Yeah. And look, it's very easy that you see the text. It's very easy to accidentally click on the link. If you do, close down the website and, and, and just delete the text and you'll be absolutely fine. Okay. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Paul O'Brien from Bank of Ireland Security Group. You have been warned. Uh, some uh, text messages uh, on other subjects. Uh, Albert in touch with us about immigration. Uh, and he says it's a government generated problem. Why is there a large effort to house and feed these people and less of an effort to look after our own people? No money for food banks, but there's always an open checkbook for non-Irish. Why can they not temporarily suspend taking in people for a few months until they have all asylum seekers who are already here looked after? That way they can relieve some of the pressure. In an ideal world, Albert, in an ideal world, I I don't think anybody would argue with you. The pressure is unreal and that's why people are being put into retail parks or disused hotels that mightn't have a fire, fire cert. 
in an ideal world, yes, uh, but the war goes on, the wars go on, the torture goes on and the killings go on and so on. And that's why people are on the move across the world. And uh, that's why they're looking for sanctuary and protection here. Uh, And um, I I think uh, what you've said is uh, very understandable and it is why people are worried about immigration. But it's not true. Uh, There is uh, no difference uh, in terms of the homeless in this country uh, and uh, the immigrants. Uh, It's not that they're being given preferential treatment or anything like that. Uh, It's quite the opposite. Uh, As I said earlier on, for example, uh, like uh, Carol, I think it was, who was in touch, uh, none of the asylum seekers are on the housing waiting list. They just aren't. They're being offered these hotels. Uh, All of, (coughs) and there's very few Irish people sleeping rough on the streets, all of those people who are sleeping rough on the streets have been offered accommodation in hotels or B&Bs or hostels, uh, but they are choosing to sleep on the streets. Uh, the asylum seekers who are sleeping on the streets, now 500 of them, um, uh, well, they haven't been offered anything. They've just been told there's nothing we can do for you. Um, we'd another WhatsApp message. Uh, this is from Joanne Grendon in Drogheda, who says, I am horrified uh, about the way people are treating immigrants. It's shocking, fleeing war, and they need some shelter, safety to get abused, acts of violence against them. It's horrific. Uh, Joanne says she's saddened and angered about this. I'm also ashamed to be Irish when I hear the news of how immigrants and asylum seekers are being treated. Disgusting behaviour. And she says, I do also think it's disgraceful that Irish citizens are homeless on the street. Something should be done. Thank you indeed, uh, Grania, for that. Uh, somebody else says, will you read out the vile anti-immigrant messages that you are getting and the name of the person who sent them? But typically they won't have given their name. Uh, some of them have. I don't know if they're the correct names. All of the phone numbers come with the messages, by the way. Um, but I think there's uh, restrictions on us uh, in terms of broadcasting laws, in terms of what we can read. But thank you indeed for your message. I understand the sentiment. Our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. A very big debate, a national debate, is about to get underway with the government announcement that it has established a consultation forum on defence, which will hold three public meetings in June, after which a report will be made to the government. I said on multiple occasions, as has the Taoiseach, that the government is not prejudging the outcome of any of the discussions at the forum. There is no hidden agenda at play. Let's dispense early on with the notion that this is part of the latest secret plan by government uh, to join NATO. What is important, though, is that the conversations are based on fact, not fiction. It is vital that the forum looks in an honest and in a serious way at the reality of the international security environment and how we as a nation should respond um, to this. Tanisha Michal Martin, many believe uh, this is the beginning of the end of Irish neutrality. The choice is not one in which military neutrality is a talisman that allows us to do good in the world, whereas any other security policy choice would mean abandoning our commitment to the peaceful settlement of disputes and international humanitarian law and human rights. Our belief in a rules-based international order goes to the core of who we are as a people. But it is not a magic charm. It does not protect us from malign actors, from those who treat the UN Charter with disdain, who actively try to undermine the existing multilateral system, 
rather than uphold and improve it. The government wants the forum to answer a number of questions. While Ireland has a proud and unbroken record of continual service in UN peacekeeping since 1958, no new peacekeeping missions have been approved by the UN Security Council since 2014. The increasing use of the veto is limiting the Council's ability to fulfil its mandate for the maintenance of international peace and security. The forum needs to examine what this means for Ireland's ability to pursue an independent foreign policy, including the implications for the triple lock. With the experience of recent years, can we genuinely and honestly say that the triple lock remains fit for purpose? That's one of the questions. We will seek to have an open and honest discussion on Ireland's security policy options for the future. We will discuss what our current policy of military neutrality means, whether it's fit for purpose in the current global security environment, and whether we need to define more clearly what we do and do not mean by military neutrality. In this context, I hope that the Forum will provide a space to discuss what other security policy choices may exist for our island, as well as our responsibilities towards other partners. Tanisha Michal Martin speaking in the Dáil yesterday. We're going to discuss this now with Mark Price, co-chair of the Irish Anti-War Movement Steering Committee and one of the founders of the Irish Neutrality League and Independent Senator Gerard Crockwell. Good morning to both of you. Thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Senator Crockwell, uh, do you want to answer those two questions? Is Ireland's triple lock mechanism and Ireland's military neutrality, neutrality fit for purpose? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely not, Michael. Good morning to your listeners. <clears throat> the triple lock, uh, we didn't have a triple lock for 80-odd years. Triple lock really only came in in the uh, 2000s, and it was brought in to sort of uh, get a treaty over the line, um, a U- an EU treaty. It is outrageous to think that, for example, if the Irish Defence Forces or the Irish government seek to put the Defence Forces, say, into Ukraine in a peacekeeping role, that the Russians would have a veto over that. Uh, So the triple lock has absolutely no value whatsoever in the current establishment of the uh, United Nations. We need to get rid of it. We need to be a mature country and stand on our own two feet. And by the way, there is no risk whatsoever to our current foreign policy of neutrality. We are not in neutrality. Well, you heard the Taoiseach asked there. I was just going to ask you to answer the second question. Is military neutrality fit for purpose? Well, there's no such thing as military neutrality. Well, that's what the Taoiseach said. Ah, I appreciate that. We're also hearing terms like political neutrality. Yeah. It's all a puff of smoke. All right, well, do you want Irish troops to go to war? Let's put it, talk in plain language. Certainly not. I do not want Irish troops to go to war. I do not want uh, Irish military, um, infantry, artillery, uh, air corps or navy in NATO. Um, at the end of the day, I want Ireland to be self-sufficient, stand alone, and to be a proper neutral. Okay, country. not NATO, not a European army, not a European defence alliance, or any other um, alliance, uh, uh, military alliance of any sort. Absolutely not, okay. Michael. And there is no, okay. no uh, EU yeah, army yeah, yeah. on, yeah, on no, the horizon. Okay, and just to be clear about that, uh, Mark Price, uh, do you want to answer those questions? Uh, is Ireland's triple lock mechanism and what the Tarnish had called Ireland's military neutrality? position fit for purpose? Yeah, I think they're both fit for purpose and I agree with the last speaker that um, I want Ireland to remain independent and neutrality is completely 
bound up with that. Um, the triple lock is fit for purpose because while, yes, the Russians have a veto, the Americans have a veto too, and the Chinese have a veto. So the point about vetoes and, and who, whether this can be uh, inhibit our independent action, um, it really comes down to geopolitical issues about law and geopolitics and so on. Um, this has nothing to do with our independence. We're not being constrained by Russian vetoes uh, in the Security Council. And neutrality is a great, was a great opportunity for Ireland to bring an honest broker status to the table, to sue for peace, which we could be doing in Ukraine. Because let's be re realistic here. What our government wants is for us to become more involved in PESCO, in NATO Partnership for Peace, so-called so -called par Partnership for okay. Peace, which completely give up on our independence of action. But the Tarnashid the there said there has been no peacekeeping mission since 2014, and I, I take it uh, he means that's because of vetoes. Yeah, possibly. I really. Uh, this is the, the the idea now by uh, Michael of invoking the Russians as the great uh, derogators of international law. Mm. When Ireland, when in 2003, need we go back to the disdain with which the US held the uh, the UN Charter in there and the British, and that how Ireland and and Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael were quite happy. Well, certainly Fianna Fáil were quite happy for yeah. Ireland to play an active role. But We've just we've, we've learned we're not neutral. We have a military alliance. Absolutely, but Absolutely. We, we we have a military alliance with uh, the United Kingdom, with Britain, and uh, the uh, defence of our airspace. The RAF well, has been looking after that for seventy years, apparently. Well, actually, Michael, if I may, I don't want to dominate this. There is actually no that doesn't derogate from neutrality. If the, 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 under the Charter, Article Fifty One of the UN Charter, it's completely within the bounds of anyone to seek help in defence if they're under attack. That doesn't derogate from neutrality. It's, there's nothing wrong with looking for somebody else to help you. Well, Ireland we, can't defend ourselves against well, we, we have a military We have a military alliance with a, a member of NATO. Yeah, but it's not an alliance in the sense that they we call them in. I'm not defending this, but yeah. I'm just saying that in the case of an attack, looking for help from somebody, that doesn't mean you're giving up on your, your, your neutrality. Neutrality is about joining permanent structured cooperations and these kinds well, of things. Well, after, after 70 years, it seems fairly permanent <laughs> as a, a structure. And I think some might say, tell that to the aggressor. Well, look, uh, the point is that the, the UN Charter makes it clear there's nothing against, I'll, I'll read it, Article 51, nothing impairs the right of individual and collective self-defense if an armed attack occurs against any member. There's nothing wrong with this. The, the issue here is joining things like PESCO and NATO's PFP. These are the real underminings of our neutrality because these rope us into decisions made by the French and Germans, for instance, which all have to do with increasing increased militarization, uh, not defense at all, but expansion, protecting interests in Africa and elsewhere. These are the real issues here. Mm. Uh, not Ireland under attack by some putative, you know, military assault. We can't defend ourselves against anybody when it comes to that. We always have to get uh, protection from other people. But that's not what neutrality is about. OK, Senator Gerard Crockwell, you said the triple lock was about getting some European referendum over the line. It was the Nice referendum, wasn't it? And it, it was to ensure that uh, Ireland uh, would not align itself military with the rest of Europe under that European treaty. 
that is correct. And there is a, so, uh, an entry into our and that and that resulted in a referendum. And the will of the people is that we do not join the European Alliance. That's correct. But there's nothing stopping us joining NATO if we want to do it in the morning. Um, there is a country to what most people believe. There is no bar on the Irish government deciding to join NATO if they want. I'm fairly happy that NATO wouldn't have us because we don't we don't really defend ourselves, but we depend on others to defend us. Now, I mean, uh, you mentioned the the uh, agreement with the RAF. Clearly, I can't speak about it because I'm a plaintiff in a court case. Other than to say that. I'd be quite happy to allow the High Court to decide whether it is or is not um, uh, has been acted out correctly. And we, we'll see what way that will solve itself in time. But as, as for the veto in the United Nations, my colleague is 100% correct. The Americans, the French, the, um, uh, the Chinese, they all have a veto. Are we really allowing other countries to decide what our country can do? Take the case of Afghanistan, where we need get Irish citizens out in a hurry. The only thing we could do was send out 12 of our army ranger wings. Why didn't we make it 100? I don't have a problem with the triple lock other than the fact that it takes away our sovereign right to decide for ourselves. Because it was required the approval of the dollar. I think the Taoiseach asked two questions. Is the triple lock mechanism fit for purpose? Is Ireland's military neutrality position fit for purpose? I don't think there's few... Uh, who would argue that they weren't uh, rhetorical questions. If that's true, are you concerned uh, that the Taoiseach is calling into question Ireland's military neutrality or whatever words you want to put on it, uh, given your position, which is that we should remain neutral? Absolutely. I'm deeply concerned. I mean, I am delighted that we supported Ukraine in the way we did. But in the way we supported Ukraine, we provided non-lethal military equipment. The moment we did that, we sacrificed any right to call ourselves neutral. Once you assist one belligerent in a conflict, Mm. you uh, ceded the right to say you're neutral. Mm. And indeed, Simon Coveney, I asked Simon Coveney in uh, the Oireachtas, who gave him the right to declare that Ireland was not neutral in the case of uh, Ukraine? Uh, Who gave Micheál Martin the right to declare Ireland was not neutral Mm. in the case of Ukraine? Okay, Uh, 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 and that's uh, as a result of sending helmets and blood to the front line. Uh, It's a a dreadful line. Uh, We're going to try and stay with you and hopefully we can improve on uh, the line. But let me go back to Mark Price uh, because it it seems as though uh, the Tanisha has said that neither are fit for purpose. And do you think that there's pressure coming on Ireland uh, to drop our neutral position? Yeah, I think that, well, we joined this PESCO. I don't know if your listeners know what PESCO is. It was, uh, it's, a, it's a structure which the Germans and French uh, promote within the European Union, um, which they, once the British announced they were leaving in, in 2016, uh, this very much came to the forefront. And it's been promoted in order to coordinate and consolidate European military supply and delivery uh, to make Europe into a military superpower because Europe is an economic and, and, and social superpower. So it's to, to uh, bring, uh, coordinate European 
arms industry and delivery of weapons. And the rules set by France and Germany make so that members of PESCO have absolutely no say in decision-making. And the threat is that if you don't join, then you will have no say. So it's a kind of a lose-lose for everybody. Well, we've um, already joined. We've already joined. This is the point. And yeah. the, the, but we're going uh, to do more. I, I would imagine that the objective is that we at least consider doing more militarily. The objective is to... The objective of the whole thing is to read the documents on this. It's it's quite explicit. It comes back, goes way back to people like Wolfgang Schäuble, uh, to Ursula von der Leyen when she was German foreign minister, um, to try to consolidate the problem we had in Europe was you have all these you know 180 different military units or whatever uh, and they wanted to try and reduce the number of those and increase their effectiveness and at the same time to vastly increase the uh, power and the and the efficiencies of arms manufacturing sure that's pesco uh, and that's pesco what i was talking about was uh, the objective of this forum on ireland's defence okay sorry this is the, the proposed forum by uh, yes. In June. Uh, and and the, by the way, the, just, the, objective, a, the objective appears to be that Ireland does more militarily. Yeah, the objective of the forum that the, that the teacher, that, uh, yes. that mm-hmm. the Tonich is organising, exactly. is that would consult the forum. Yes, well, there, he is claiming that there's no uh, hidden agenda and so on, but obviously the fact that they're being chaired by uh, a woman who's chief area of expertise is counter-terrorist security issues. Um, uh, there's quite a... seems to be that there is an agenda in the sense that to talk about this, that, for instance, they can't they can't make a public statement without referring to the undersea cable attacks and and suggesting that the North Street pipeline attack is the kind of thing we could be expecting if we don't get more integrated with various forms of of, of defence uh, and so on. There there definitely and also the independent commission that was recent uh, on arms spending. There's a declared intention to double. Uh, arms spending. Mm. All of these things are fine, uh, whatever way you want to look at them, but there is definitely an agenda, Michael. Yeah. And the idea that there isn't an agenda uh, is disingenuous. Well, uh, I'm sure Jared Crockwell would like the spending on defence to be doubled, but for it to go into uh, paying conditions of, of uh, personnel. Uh, let me go back to Jared Crockwell, though, uh, because uh, you mentioned the referendum that enshrined the triple lock into the Irish Constitution. To take it out of the Constitution, it would require another referendum. In other words, people would have to vote uh, to uh, rescind the triple lock. Do you think people would vote in favour of that? My, my fear is if we go to a referendum that uh, opinions like what we have just listened to in the last uh, contribution by uh, my opposite number there uh, will dominate the discussion. Uh, he talks about the undersea cables coming across the Atlantic. An attack on the undersea cables will paralyse the world economy. Simple as that. It will paralyse the world economy. No, I don't want us to be members of NATO, but I do want us to have alliances with like-minded countries. We've already seen through the attack on the HSE that people have died as a result of that because they missed appointments or the hospitals weren't able to meet the requirements of the day or at the time. Uh, And is that what we want? I certainly don't. And I'm working hard 
to build alliances across okay. Europe in the area of cyber. And indeed, Dundalk and Loudme DTB is about to launch a major cyber awareness program thanks to the foresight of people like Martin O'Brien, the Chief Executive okay. Officer. It, it really is a dreadful line, Gerard. Uh, I'll go back to Mark uh, just to conclude. Uh, do you wish to respond uh, to yeah, that? We, we need to defend ourselves domestically, and I think maybe others would say, uh, why don't we defend ourselves generally? Yeah, I think uh, defending ourselves, there's nothing wrong with that. And as I keep saying, there's nothing against the UN Charter in defending ourselves or in asking for help to defend ourselves in the case of an attack. This is a red herring, a distraction. May I get a plug in? We, the Irish Charity League, are going to have our... Uh, we're convening our own assembly forum on the 19th of June in Liberty Hall at 7 o'clock, uh, inviting people to come and discuss neutrality in advance of these consult- so-called consultative forums uh, organised by the government um, in order to have a much broader range of views uh, expressed and aired and give people a chance to state their overwhelming support for neutrality in the simplest sense the, we do not want to join PESCO or the, NATO the, 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 the 19th of June that was was it? 19th of June, yep. Liberty Hall at okay. 7 o'clock. Irish Neutrality Great. League okay. or Irish Anti-War Movement. Look these things up on the we internet. Have it. Okay, see. 19th of June, Liberty Hall, 7 o'clock. Thank you, Mark Price, co-chair of the Irish Anti-War Movement Steering Committee and one of the founders of the Irish Neutrality League. We were also speaking to Indepe- Independent Senator Jared Crockwell, who is a former member of the Defence Forces. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Well, there was no end uh, to the number of politicians who expressed uh, their discuss about uh, the assault on that 14-year-old boy in Navan when uh, they spoke in the Dáil yesterday. Our abhorrence of the incident that happened in Navan uh, a couple of days ago is just... Tánaiste, as a parent of, of four boys, I think I, along with everybody else, was utterly disgusted and sickened to the core to see and hear the unprovoked attack on a young child, 14 years of age, as he was walking home from his school in Navan. And we can only send out our, our thoughts and our love to that child at this point in time and hope he makes a, a recovery and our thoughts and our love to the family also as they're dealing with this trauma. I know that the people of Navan, indeed the people right across the country, are shocked and horrified by this incident. And I know that you'll join with me in condemning this attack and indeed the individuals involved. The young person involved has suffered serious physical injuries and no doubt psychological injur- injuries as well. And it's every parent's worst nightmare that they would see their child bullied. It's every parent's worst nightmare that this type of incident would happen, this type of attack would happen for their child to be physically assaulted for so many. It's just unimaginable. And for that matter, for their child to be involved in the perpetration of this type of assault. Tanisha, there's no room in our society for this type of behaviour, for this type of violence, for this type of bullying. And I know the Gardaí are currently undertaking an investigation. My colleague, the TD from Mead West, Johnny Gork, has called on anybody with any information to bring that forward to the Gardaí so that this issue can be investigated properly and the perpetrators dealt with. And I want to echo his call this afternoon. That was Sinn Féin's Piers Doherty. I must say, I think the country is sickened um, uh, and very disturbed uh, by, by this shocking attack on this young boy. Um, the random violent nature of it, uh, the videoing of it and the posting of the video online. Uh, I haven't seen the video, I didn't see it, but uh, some who did have described it as stomach churning um, and quite shocking. Uh, and I agree with you, 
that there was absolutely no place in our society um, for such violence. Uh, more broadly, there has been increased violence against our LGBTI community in, in the country, uh, which is quite disturbing. I believe um, we collectively in this House and across the country condemn what has happened. Uh, we have to ensure that our uh, response is multifaceted and multidisciplinary. The Tánaiste and uh, the leader of uh, the Fianna Fáil party, Michal Martin, there. Tánaiste, just to begin by joining with colleagues in condemning yesterday's brutal attack on the young child in Navan and just to express my own sympathy and solidarity on behalf of Labour with the family and with the young boy concerned and to hope that he makes a speedy recovery but an appalling attack and I, I think we all join in, in sympathy with, with him and his family. That was the leader of uh, the Labour Party of Anna Bakic. On my own behalf and on behalf of the regional group I want to echo the condemnation uh, of the attack on the young man that took place uh, in County uh, Meath and wish him uh, a speedy recovery. Independent TD Dennis Nocton there. I'd like to express on my own behalf and my own groups, rural independent groups, we have our abhorrence of what the incident that happened in Navin a couple of days ago. It's just truly shocking. I haven't seen the video, but what I've heard about it, it's appalling. And every right thing and person must condemn it. That was Independent TD Matty McGrath. Tony, should allow me to add my own voice and that my party to condemn the brutal scenes we've seen in Navin, the brutal assault on a 14-year-old child that should never take place. Um, belong to the youth LGBT organisation released figures today, again from 2002, the research I found 76% of young LGBTQI plus students in schools found schools to be an unsafe place for them. Tonisha, can I ask, what are yourselves as a government doing to ensure that schools and public spaces are safer for young LGBTQI plus students? I thank the Deputy for raising the issue and I, I share, uh, as I said earlier, our horror at the violence of that attack and the nature of that attack. And um, I too have met with uh, representatives of, of the LGBTI community, particularly young people, who've on a personal level articulated to, to me the bullying that they've been subjected to in some instances, uh, young um, people have to leave their school and go to an alternative school, and that has happened. Um, and, um, and I think we have to work harder at making sure that the strategies we have around anti-bullying um, penetrate or get, get traction on the ground. Um, I think all the, the policy frameworks can alter is what the ministers produce, um, developed and launched before, in November of last year. Uh, it is a very multi-stranded uh, program. I think it's a good program, but we must make sure now that we resource that on the ground uh, and that it has real impact um, in school communities across the country. Tanisha Micheál Martin responding on that occasion to Gary Gannon of uh, the Social Democrats. As a, as a TD for me and, and proud to be it, I welcome your comments, uh, Tanisha, about the dreadful attack in, in Navan um, and the solidarity extended and welcome the same from the Taoiseach and, and right across the political divide. And I know it's it's echoed in the town of Navan in the county of Meath and, and right across the, the country. And uh, I echo um, Deputy Doherty's call for a, a comprehensive and appropriate response. And as you said, we all need to, to work harder. Um, so so I uh, thank you for that. Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke adding his voice to the many voices coming from Dáil Éireann expressing disgust at what happened in Navan over the course of this week.
Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, that ESRI survey that we were talking about earlier on with uh, 62% of 17 to 18-year-olds uh, worried about displaying one or more of six recognised signs of excessive internet use uh, is taken from an analysis of the Growing Up in Ireland Longitudinal Research Study. Uh, it looks at 5,000 young people were born in 1998. Uh, so, in other words, those children, if you like, are, are now adults. Uh, they're obviously 25 years of age. Uh, so, uh, this uh, research is actually probably seven years out of date. So, if it was 62% of teenagers uh, who were using their phones or whatever too much then what's it like now i am ruth was made for parents and their children for families who feel that they are held hostage by the perils of the online world for parents who wish they could still communicate with their teenagers but who no longer can and for young people who have become addicted to social media and its darker sides this does not need to be your life to people in power and to people who can make change please criminalise harmful content, please eradicate harmful content. We don't want it. We want our children back. We don't want to lie awake terrified for our children's mental health. And to any young person who might be listening, who feels that they are trapped in an unhealthy world, please ask for help. There is no shame in admitting that you need support. It will be there. Just ask for it. Right, so that's part of Kate Winslet's BAFTA speech after being uh, awarded uh, Best Actress for I Am Ruth. Let's talk uh, uh, some more about this and another study, uh, a study of a thousand secondary school students by Study Clicks. Luke Saunders is a former secondary school teacher and co-founder of Study Clicks. Good morning to you, Luke, and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, there's little difference in what you've uh, discovered what Kate Winslet and many other parents are living with and what the Soraya is reporting. Yeah, good morning, Michael. Yeah, no, absolutely. Everything you've just played there concurs with what we found. So as you said, we did a survey of over a thousand students in second level. And what we did was we asked them to look at the screen time app on their phone so that they could actually have a real reflection of their phone usage. And uh, one in three students are using their phone four hours or more per day. And then when you look at six hours or more a day, you've got 16% of students. So, you know, it's it, that was news to me. Like, that, that number has crept up um, over, the to- over the time. We've done these surveys a number of times over the years, and the number is gradually um, creeping upwards in, in terms of the amount of time each student is spending on their phone. Well, it depends on what you're doing on your phone or your laptop or whatever. I mean, I, I, I take it I'd spend at least as much time uh, on my laptop as those young people, but maybe not doing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, StudyClicks is a study website and a lot of them are accessing uh, study tools on their phones and we've actually seen over time that there's now a majority of students use uh, their mobile device to access our service but when we ask them what specific social media um, platforms they're on uh, the leader was Instagram at 87% joined by Snapchat Snapchat closely behind and then you've got TikTok and YouTube who are 73 and 71% so what we're seeing is that there's there's a rise in apps that use short-form video, right? So much shorter videos and mm. you kind of swipe through them one after the other. And what students told us loud and clear in this survey is that 
they are finding that the use of short form video apps is affecting their ability to concentrate. So more than half of them, 54% said that, you know, flicking through video after video is, is affecting their ability to study. It seems to me that the shorter the videos are, the more time people spend watching them uh, because they get bored with a very long video. If it's a short video, they go on to the next one and on to the next one and so on. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, like the experience of like consuming uh, stuff like this, like videos like this, it's very different from when, you know, I'm, I'm early 40s. When I was a child, you would watch a program for maybe 25 minutes at a time and it usually was whatever was on the five or six channels you had at the time. Whereas now it's very much, you fall into a niche where there's an algorithm showing you videos that are like the ones you've, you've watched in the past. So, you know, it's, it's very uh, tailored towards making an addictive behavior. Because obviously mm. the likes of TikTok and Instagram, they're commercial businesses whose, you know, advertising revenue depends on how many eyeballs are on the screen for how many hours. So they have no interest in, in helping students with these addictions. Um, so yeah so I think as parents out there there are a good few things that you can do to help your teenager you know manage their phone use I think is, is probably the best way because you're not going to yeah. eliminate it but it, just it, to manage it. it well it's a fabulous tool and there's probably nothing wrong with watching a, a bit of TikTok or uh, checking uh, your Instagram feed or, or whatever it is uh, it's the time that you spend doing it and then uh, using the phone for all of the wonderful things that it can do. There's a lot of new technology as well, of course, Luke, uh, uh, and I hate to even mention the word, but uh, where's artificial intelligence coming I- into uh, how students are using their phones these days? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. So this was a new question we added this year. So we asked students about their use of ChatGPT, and I was really surprised to see how prevalent it is. We found that 23%, so more than one in five students, have used it in the course of their schoolwork. And I was I was staggered to see this. So we, we added a question, which was, what, what exactly are you using it for? And it turns out that a lot of students are using it to generate um, essays that they're using. So say in the history or in English or in geography. And then what they're doing is they're looking at ChatGPT's um, suggested essay and they're then modifying it for their own use. So that's that's one use of it, and you know a lot, a lot of parents and teachers would say, "Oh, you know, that's it's cheating and so on," which which it is. But then there's another whole cohort of students who are actually using Chat GPT as as a learning tool, probably in a similar way that they're using StudyClicks, and that they're they're asking it to ask them questions, or you know, like ask me questions on photosynthesis, or they they can even use it to to break down complicated um, concepts into bullet points. So it's quite interesting to see how students are using it um, mm. as a learning tool as well as, you know, a, a shortcut to getting their homework done. Okay. Well, it's uh, the world we live in. There's no doubt about it and there's no getting away from it. It's how we uh, live in it and how we use these tools. Luke, we have to leave it there, but thank you for joining us uh, this morning. This morning, I beg your pardon. Uh, Luke Saunders, former secondary school teacher and co-founder of Study Clicks. That's our programme for today, indeed, for this week. Maggie McGuire Research, Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwin, and we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.